Welcome to the Intersection Podcast, brought to you by Impact 360 Institute. Impact 360 Institute is passionate about equipping a new generation of Christ-centered influencers to understand, defend, and live out their faith in the marketplace. Here's your host, Jonathan Morrow. What is God up to in our culture today? And how can God use everyday people to have great influence in this particular cultural moment in which we live? Well, those are the kind of questions we're going to talk about in this episode of the Impact 360 Institute podcast. And before we talk about that, I want to just remind you that at Impact 360, we are passionate about seeing the next generation really be people of influence in this culture, in this cultural moment that God has called us to. And so we want to take this opportunity seriously. And we, we offer training experiences for high school students, college students, and graduate students. And just want to encourage you to check those things out at our website, impact360.org. But I want to tell you about our guest today, which is John Stone Street. He's a friend. He's been here. Uh, he's one of our guest faculty teaching our gap year students. And uh, he's a speaker and fellow of the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And since 2012, John has been co-host with Eric Metaxas of Breakpoint, the Christian Worldview radio program founded by the late Chuck Colson. Um, John is the co-author of three books, Restoring All Things with Warren Smith, Same-Sex Marriage with Sean McDowell, and Making Sense of Your World, A Biblical Worldview. He and his wife Sarah have three daughters and a dog and live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So, John, it's so good to have you with us on this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, so you've got this new book out, Restoring All Things, you know, and as we look around the culture right now, um, in some ways, a lot of Christians, I think, are discouraged. They're, they're wondering, okay, what is going on? How do I need to respond? I'm a little fearful. I don't like everything I'm seeing. It doesn't seem like we're on the majority side of certain things, perhaps anymore. Maybe we never were. Maybe there's an illusion. I don't know. So your book addresses that, right? It tries to engage where we're at culturally, but maybe talk a little bit about why you wrote Restoring All Things and kind of how that can speak to the everyday Christian who's who's trying to figure out what to do with this cultural moment that we live in. So in any culture, we have blind spots, right? I mean, things are considered normal and that's, you know, in a culture and maybe they should be, maybe they shouldn't be, but because they're considered normal, we don't often kind of stop and think, you know, what's going on. So as you know, over the last couple of years, uh, talking a lot about culture, there's a great sense of cultural despair that things are going the wrong way. I mean, I had one pastor look at me and say, John, it's over. We've lost on the issue of same-sex marriage. And I know what he was saying is that, you know, the culture is going to buy into this and there's going to be, you know, issues and so on. And that's certainly true. But I think the temptation for Christians is always to live out of the cultural story instead of the real story, right? I mean, the Bible gives us the story of the world from creation to new creation. So our culture fits somewhere between Genesis and Revelation. And we know what the end of the story is. It's a hopeful one. And and hope biblically is not this wishful thinking sort of thing. It's certain. In other words, that God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself. You know, as Jesus says, as quoted in the book of Revelation, behold, I make all things new. The story of restoration and redemption is the story of the world. That's the story we're invited to live. So even in a time when culture seems to be going the same way, our story doesn't change. And so uh, really we wanted to, uh, my my co-author Warren Smith and I wanted to write 
a book that would call people back to that sense of cultural hope. And I also think there's a sense that there's nothing we can do. And, and, and our book makes the argument that maybe that sense that there's nothing we can do about the direction our world is going is because we're aiming at the wrong thing. We're, we spend a lot of time as Christians complaining about Hollywood or about D.C., what we call in the book the top of culture. And there are Christians that are called to work in those halls of power and, and areas of influence. They're called to work at the top. Most of us aren't. And so we spend maybe a whole lot of time watching too much Fox News about how bad things are. And instead of actually looking and going, well, wait a minute, what can we do? What am I called to? What work of restoration is God asking me to join him in? And so we call that aiming for the middle. And so we put the hope together and the aiming for the middle together. And that's really the philosophy kind of behind the book, that, that there's an awful lot Christians can do. And maybe this could be a great moment uh, for Christians engaged in culture because of the the amount of work there is to be done and Christianity always to any cultural dilemma always has the best answer on the market Absolutely, because it's true and it's as true. You're, and as you're saying, you know, I mean, these issues matter. This stuff I mean, we're going to have to deal with the issues of our day, and perspective makes all the difference. I mean, I know, I know you work with young people a lot. I work with a lot of them here at Impact 360, and I think it's so critical that they catch this message that you're trying to communicate of hope and that I can actually do something. But aiming at the right thing is really, really important. And in, in the book, you talk about some, some rewords, and you kind of – what are those words that maybe as Christians we need to maybe reacquaint ourselves with? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you look at um, – in, in time the gospel is talked about, the impact of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the net effect of the gospel, uh, Jesus, John, Peter, Paul – they, they all use rewords, uh, words that you know we've translated to begin with those letters re. So resurrection, renewal, restoration, redemption, repentance, um, uh, regeneration, uh, reconciliation. These, these are the rewords in the Bible, and they're all throughout the Bible. One of the chapters in the book is uh, is, is kind of a. A rephrasing of a great poem by John Milton. John Milton said, God loveth adverbs. You know, he loveth not just what we do, but that we do it well. And so I, I kind of barred that and said, God loveth rewords. Because clearly, all these words are, are, are communicated that way. Well, rewords are always words that have to do with doing something again or restoring or returning something to its intended state. And so, uh, you know, probably one of the most powerful passages on this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we know it from, you know, uh, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, but, but throughout that passage, uh, from verses really 14 down to 21, uh, three different times in different ways, Paul says that God was in Christ reconciling the wor- world to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So in other words, and he says it three different ways, but reconciled ones, those who have experienced the, the re- restoration and, and, and repentance and renewal because of the resurrection of Christ, are called to be reconcilers, to be agents of restoration. Um, and, and throughout history, you can see the church made an enormous amount of influence when it actually helped restore. And uh, in fact, in our book, uh, we wanted to teach all of these kind of re-ideas in these important cultural areas. We talk about education and dealing with poverty and, you know, helping with sexual brokenness and, and you know, women in, in, in compromised situations and all these different areas of culture where there's brokenness and need and, and also, uh, you know, opportunity and telling stories about Christians, many of whom we've never heard of 
who are doing remarkable things. I, my co-author is a wonderful storyteller, Warren Smith, and, and, and I need to credit him for you know, really gathering so many of these stories. We read about the Bonhoeffers and the Wilberforces, and we need to, but it's easy for us to think, I'm no Bonhoeffer, I'm no Wilberforce. Um, in this book, you, know, you can't say, I'm no this person, because you've never heard this name before, but you look at what they've done in the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to, to not only impact lives, but shift culture. And it's amazing how yeah. many people are doing this. Yeah, things. and give, say, give just one kind of roll off the top of your head. Like, give us an example of just somebody that nobody's ever heard of, but it's the kind of thing that you're saying, okay, if you were aiming at the middle or this everyday kind of idea, what's, what's one of those stories? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll just give you a, a larger category of one. I mean, if you look at the major issue, of our day, which has to do with sexuality, almost every sexual issue seems to be going away from God's design, right? We have a lot of sexual brokenness, uh, with one with, with one exception, and that is, um, you know, the abortion issue, which is related to sexual the sexual revolution and sexual freedom and so on. But, uh, you know, we were told in 1973 that, you know, this issue is settled by the Supreme Court. Our kids won't care anymore. They'll go right along with it. Where our, this generation of young people are more pro-life than their parents and grandparents, according to surveys. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but there's a pro, there's a move towards the pro-life position. Now, why is that the case? Well, my guess is if you went um, into a, you know, any town in America, what you'll find there is a pregnancy care center. Uh, and if you went to that director or one of those volunteers and you asked her, hey, are you changing culture? They probably wouldn't even know what you're asking. And they'd probably say, well, I don't know, but I'm helping that woman over there. And, and see, what, what happened is... In every town in America, every town from big, you know, New York City to small, you know, I was down in Vidalia, Georgia, speaking at a pregnancy care center banquet just a little bit ago. Uh, there are women, Christian women primarily, that are actually looking at broken lives, people that are in situations they don't know what to do, and they're providing hope. And they're providing the message of the gospel and they're helping them choose life and they're helping them meet, you know, some material needs that they have. And together, the net result has been a shifting in culture towards a pro-life position. And there's a whole bunch of ladies. I don't even know their names. I just know that, you know, there's a pregnancy care center in every single neighborhood. And the net effect is, is that pro-abortion folks can't say you guys don't care about women because it's patently observably not true because they have and they have for now for 20 years with no acclaim with very little budgets but with remarkable effectiveness that, to me that's a that's a great example yeah that's a powerful story um right now my guest is john stone street co-author of the great new book restoring all things with warren cole smith and uh we're talking about how we are hopeful in the midst of this culture that that we're in right now and you know john is even as i hear you talking about um just that story around the pro-life issue and so important and i've heard you talk about this before but how important is imagination in kind of engaging well at this culture moment that we're in well you know we often think that culture shifts through ideas and 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 there's always ideas involved but ideas aren't always communicated they're often imagined and the cultural imagination the world that people think they inhabit is 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 very very important Uh, if you think you inhabit a world in which not everyone has inherent infinite value by nature of being a human being, then you're going to have cultures that enslave folks or cultures that kill the elderly to get them off our hands or whatever. Uh, But if you imagine a world in which people are valued because they are part of the human family, that just changes things. So imagination is everything. But the imagination is, is not often swayed by arguments. It's often swayed by stories. And so that's why the method in the book 
that Warren and I chose uh, is uh, is to tell stories. So we do a little bit of teaching, but then we just wanted to embody. Here's what restoration looks like in this cultural area through the lens of this story or this person. You know, this organization here that's reaching inner city uh, teens and actually changing their work, or this pastor who sees his job and in just a devastated community in downtown Detroit sees it as uh, not just getting people saved, but actually bringing shalom and, and life to the whole community. Or, you know, here, here's a story of, um, you, you know, defending those who have disability. Here, here's the story of, of, of what it looks like to celebrate lifelong married love. I mean, these stories tell us something about what God intended for the world and what he intends again uh, because of the work and redemption of, of Jesus Christ. Um, so we get to participate in this uh, re- remarkable story. And, and I think, you know, Christians need to be better storytellers. We just absolutely do. Uh, we, we tell an example in the book, you know, if, if I were to ask you your birthday, your address, maybe even your phone number when you were seven, many of us were to remember those, you know, 10 numbers. But if I had to say, hey, you know, pi, pi is 3.14, but give me pi up to 10 letters. We, we couldn't do it. And the reason is, is all those numbers, we have the, an, an amazing capacity to remember an awful lot of numbers if it's tied to a story, if it's tied to something that personally relates to us. And that's all we're saying is that there's wonderful, um, uh, there, there's a way, you know, to, to, uh, to impact and shift culture through these narratives and by telling of these stories and then becoming a story, living out these stories. No, that's, that's, that's great stuff, you know, and, and just kind of rekindling, because sometimes I think in the church, we haven't given Christians permission to, to, to think well and tell good stories and be creative and mm-hmm. kind of even our, our, our view of art or right. view of, of what Christian art, quote unquote, should or shouldn't be, has sometimes constrained really talented people that God's wired to be great storytellers that have just never been empowered or given permission to go out there and tell great stories. Has that been? Oh, absolutely. And, and one of the things that that does is that, you know, the net result of that, I'm going to kind of make a jump here, but I'll, hopefully it'll make sense. The net result of that is that the middle becomes empty in, in, in societal life. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. You know, when we fill up the world by applying uh, our faith to the things that we do every single day and we take seriously the existence of evil and the restoration of individuals and then when we when we apply our faith to that the, the middle of a culture is, is is full alexis de tocqueville when he came over uh, and looked at the american experiment he he actually noted something that he referred to as being you know really the source of american exceptionalism is that, you know, it, it wasn't because there was a strong big government or the, because the citizens were, you know, individually, you know, just free and could do whatever they want. But what made America strong was the, he said, you know, in between the big government and the citizen are all of these middle institutions. There was a strong, robust civic, uh, civic life, um, you know, churches, families. Uh, voluntary associations, even local governments, but you know schools. In other, in other words, you didn't need the big government to solve the problems because local communities were solving their own problems. If you look at one of the most significant cultural shifts in the last twenty years, it, it's been the emptying out of the middle. The church is less important than it used to be. The family has kind of dried up in, in society, and even voluntary associations, Boy Scouts. That's not. I mean, you know how many congressmen we get from the Boy Scouts? I mean, it's amazing. And without these things, uh, we don't have ways to actually 
catechize and form our citizens so that they're good citizens. I look at that and I say, well, wow, that's exactly what the gospel tells us to do. Go be creative. Go be entrepreneurial. Start a business. You know, start a business that is different than all the other businesses because the business actually makes the community better, right? Um, one story we didn't even put in the book. I, you know, I, I know a banker in the middle of a southern state, uh, um, you know, a small town. And I went to this town and I remember looking around going, this is like Potterville and it's a wonderful life if Mr. Potter were a Christian. I mean, you know, this guy's made a billion dollars with a B in this little town running these banks. And the community is way better because he's made a billion dollars. He's a Christian. He knows what he's doing. And he's done everything from, you know, cap his own income to, to, to basically, you know, invest in restoration and long-term sustainable development and all that. And this is exactly what Christians have done for, for years, dealing with poverty, both internationally and locally. Uh, you know, starting businesses that actually employ others and help everybody. You know, th- this is the sort of entrepreneurial creative thinking. And the arts are another one, right? I mean, uh, Christians throughout history have led in music and in the visual arts and theater. And we're, we don't really anymore. Why, why do you think we lost that? Well, I mean, I think there's a whole lot of answers. In the American context, it kind of was equated with being worldly. In some ways, you know, we listen to this music, not that music and so on. And we stop, you know, wondering and wrestling with um, what good gifts can we give the world? And so, you know, in the book, we um, we outline four questions that we hope will help us turn the corner on this and create that sort of entrepreneurial thinking. If we focus in on the middle. In other words, the space that I actually can do something about instead of spending all my energy complaining about what I can't do something about. If I'm actually committed to to, to do the things that I can do, here are four ways to kind of identify what I should be doing. Number one is what's good that we can promote or protect. Uh, Education, you know, what you guys do at Impact and, and working in education, that that's just in the tradition of Christians from the very beginning. Wherever Christians went, education went. Christians thought education was a good thing. And it's probably because Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. And we believe that by understanding God's world, it'll point to God. Uh, another one is what's uh, missing that we can contribute. Uh, you know, this is a, a you know part of Christian history. I mean, if you look at what Gutenberg said about the printing press, you know, um, you know, this will, th- this press will, you know, of course he made it out of a wine press, you know, this will be the sweetest wine ever given to man, you know, just really believe that there weren't enough Bibles. And if we could give more Bibles to more people, that's what's missing. He wanted to contribute and change the world. Still known as the greatest invention ever. What's evil that we can stop? Um, I think of Lila Rose, one of the stories we tell, um, a girl that I first met when she was 14 and, uh, came to the summit training program and now she's one of the top pro-life activists and she's just one of a whole bunch of millennials who think evil this evil of abortion will stop in our lifetime you know it's kind of like wilberforce you know when he fought the slave trade there were people trying to help slaves teaching the read buying them and then turning around and letting them free Uh, wilberforce just said it's time for this evil to stop and I think that's something that Christians have long done. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. I mean, we're going to stop abortion. Maybe it's I'm just going to stop, you know, that guy from treating that girl that way over there in the parking lot right now. You know, how can we stop evil? And then the fourth one is, is what's broken that we can restore. 
And when we realize that all truth is God's truth and the world itself belongs to God created by God, restoring can be something physical, something spiritual, relational, you know, fixing relationships to fixing a, a neighborhood, you know, bringing life and flourishing back into a place that's dead. I think if we if we encourage Christians to think that way in their neighborhoods, it, it'll be pretty powerful. Absolutely. You know, that is so important. And as, as Christians, as people listening to this podcast right now, I bet one of those four questions resonated with you mm-hmm. and something came to mind as John was talking about that. And what I want to encourage you to do after you're, you know, get done with the podcast, don't do this while you're driving, right? Just wait till you get off the road. Mm-hmm. But then figure out a way to act on something very small, but tangible, actionable in your life so that you can have influence right where you're at, that you could say, okay, how can I be an agent of restoration here? What, how can I bring this hope to bear in this situation? Because that's what God calls us to do. So I'm so excited about uh, John Stone Street's new book, uh, Restoring All Things. We'll have links to that in the show notes. We'll have um, links to find out more about him and, and his ministry. And just really appreciate, John, your work for the kingdom and the way that you engage culture well. So glad to have you here teaching our, our students this week in the, in the gap year. And just really, really excited about it what God can do with a book like this. So so really thank you for, for being with us today. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, well, that's the podcast for today, and we'll see you next time. For more information about our worldview and leadership experiences for students, visit impact360institute.org. Impact360 Institute. Know. Be. Live. Live.